quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Hello, you're listening to the podcast, So There I Was. It's how all great aviation tales begin. This is episode 95. You could hear the shrapnel hit the plane. Yes, you could. Oh, my God. I, I, I'm, I'm at a loss for words, and that doesn't happen very often. Right, as am I. An American hero, an American legend, a true American treasure sat down with us tonight to talk. One quick admin note I'd like to mention. We're doing a show swap this week with another podcast. So if you like history, not current history, which is kind of what we're covering, some ancient history, the Warlords of History podcast at thewarlordsofhistory.com. We'll talk about that a little bit more during the show. I just like the title, Warlords of History. Right? Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> I just, I, yeah. I do like it. I'm intrigued by that. It's now going to go into my rotation, I can tell you that. But another one that should bring this show into people's rotation is tonight's interview that we just did with uh, Rosie. Amazing. He's three days younger than my mother, who is 98. <laughs> and uh, Rosie... Sharp and, as uh, he's, Yeah, he, absolutely. He has better memories than I do. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm not being hyperbolic no. about that. An amazing memory, very articulate, fun to listen to, enlisted in the Army Air Corps on his 18th birthday. Six weeks of training. Yeah, it was January 1944 is when he enlisted. Yeah, January 21st, 1944 is when he enlisted. Six weeks of training, home to say goodbye to his family, met some of the returning airmen at... I think it's uh, Union Station in Chicago. Chicago in Chicago, and they and they and they kind of told him, "Hey, it's a shit show where you're going because we yeah. just left there." And then that when it get that's when it got real for him. It's like, oh, yeah. should that shit. put a knot in our stomach that stayed for the rest of the war? He flew thirty two, thirty three combat missions. Thirty. The war ended before he had to fly their mandatory number. I, I remember that. Yeah. But, yeah. It was like 32 missions as a nose gunner in the B-24. That's some kind of big airplane, a four-engine bomber, nose gunner, tail gunner, turret. Those guys fit in these little tiny, I don't know, imagine crawling under your desk and having refrigerated air blowing on you at minus 40 <laughs> degrees. Minus 40 <laughs> for degrees, three hours. no pressurization. <laughs> oh, my gosh, you know, the... Yeah. The, yeah. the environment that they were were in was inhospitable to say the least. And then yeah. you throw on you throw on top of that, he says, "Well, you know, when we were going in, it was only 150 guns. That was an easy day. 150 AAA guns was yeah. an easy yeah. day. That wasn't so bad. <laughs> that wasn't so bad. Uh, yeah. And the, and you know, I'm going to tease it. The story he opens with that's that that made all the hair on my arm stand up. You know." Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd say hair on the on back that. of my head, but I don't have any hair. On well, the back you know, of my head. if you had it, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it was standing up if I had it. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god! Unlike our F sixteen brethren who described the surreal surroundings when the flak was going off around them, you could see it, but they couldn't hear it. He says, "Oh no, we could hear it," and you sometimes you could hear the shrapnel hit the airplane. Yeah. It peppered his. Uh, it peppered his his glass, his plexiglass yeah. on the on the nose. Yeah, dude. Okay, and he um, walks us through what it was like in the life of a uh, of an enlisted man. Yeah, day in the life of an enlisted air crewman in uh, in a B twenty four. Yeah, it is it is surreal. It was a it was amazing. It was 
it was humbling and it was an honor to talk to him and hear it in person. Yeah. So yeah, this isn't what, something you're reading in a book. This is this is the real deal right here. It, it is story. the real deal. And I think it's About time for you folks to hear it in person, too. At night. Here's Rosie. In the world's smallest cockpit, on the tanker, through the weather. Oh, and to the uh, tanker crew who uh, did that. Thanks a lot. We really appreciated that. I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. There I was crossing the pond, and you could see that I wasn't exactly fun. I was, uh, of course, I was a nose gunner on a B-24 bomber, and, and we were flying missions, and this was probably probably our 20, 20-some mission. And we we always, when we brief us, when we were going to go to the site, they would brief how many anti-aircraft guns they would have. And so we'd always say, well, if they, were, if they had about 100 guns, that's not too bad. Three or 400 guns, that's bad. So we were going to St. Valentine, Germany, or Austria, and they had about 150 guns. So we thought, well, that's, that's not too bad. It, it's going to be okay. So, so anyway, we, we were flying along, getting, getting, getting ready to, we always had, had a, a number of planes in you know, a group. There'd be seven, seven, twenty-eight planes flying over at the same time, and so we turn it on the what we call the PI. We were certainly going to go over the target, and just about the time we got to the target, it hit this big bang, and it was right out in front of me. It's because I was in a nose turret. I thought, boy, they didn't get us that shot, but the next one they're going to get us. We're dead. And oh, that's boy. what we all thought. We were dead. Yeah. And we were, so we were sitting there waiting for the next shot. That's it. Big. That, that, that's got, I have ice, I have ice water running in my veins right now, Rosie. Oh, you know, I, cause I, I'm in the middle of the series. Oh, oh, the one that just started that that is depicts the Eighth Air Force, Masters of the Air, Masters of the Air, and so that's how all great aviation uh, tales begin. Who's talking? <laughs> hey, this look to your left and tell us who you are. Hey, this is Fig, and uh, boy, am I excited for this interview! I am. I just got home from a trip, and my timing is perfect because I am back at home in Kearney, Missouri. Where's my co-host? I am coming to you from Maastricht. In the Netherlands, which was yesterday, was uh, just across the German border, the the place of many of the targets that our tonight's guest was going for some seventy five to eighty years ago. Our guest tonight, none other than Rosie, not a pilot, but you don't need to be a pilot. You need to love aviation, which clearly he did, and he spent much of World War II, the end of World War II, in the nose turret of a B-24 bomber. Yeah. Oh, my God. What a yeah. terrifying place to be, but also amazing. You're going to hear tonight, folks, or today or this morning, whenever, wherever you happen to be, you're going to hear well, first-hand, firsthand account. First-hand account shit. of what it was yeah. like to be uh, in a B-24. And and you're going to hear... What I wanted to say is you're going to hear why this is the greatest generation. So to you, Rosie, we welcome you. 
thank you so much for joining us. Yes. We're honored and humbled. Such an honor. Such an honor. So, but take us back to the beginning. Where were you when the war broke out, and and how long did it take you to decide that you wanted to uh, take part? Okay, well, I was a, I was a lived on a farm, ranch back in Kansas, cattle ranch, small cattle ranch, and born born in there and raised there until I left to go to the service, of course. But I I was thirteen years old when the war came along. I'm not quite a Prior to that, I was a, I'm a depression baby because that's where the, we were poor, very poor, poor family, and we had hardly anything to eat. The people was very poor. The Dust Bowl was up, happened during that time, so I come from a very okay. humble family. Yeah, yes, sir. Had, uh, and, and and what exactly was the Dust Bowl? I think we all have many of us have a picture of it. Both in '34 and '36, and that's when all the people left. Oklahoma for California. They, they okay. couldn't survive. It didn't rain for two years or three years at all. And you couldn't raise crops because we were farmers and couldn't raise crops. And so it was a very bad time. And luckily, I was only in my teens or early teens, pre-teens, so I didn't realize that that's the severity of the situation. But anyway... When I, when I was 13 years old, that's when they announced the war starting in, in Europe between Germany and, and England and France. And being 13, and the, everybody said, we're going to be in the war. And I said, well, I'm only 13. I'm not going to be in the war. So, so we kind of let it be. So I was, when I went ahead and go to high school. I graduated from high school when I was 17. And as, as a teenager, I was anxious to do something. And, uh, of course, they were getting ready for the invasion of France. And that was foregone conclusion. And, I, and I, was, I was born a coward, and I didn't want to be in the infantry. <laughs> so I said, I'm going to go join the Army Air Corps. At that time, it was the Army Air Corps. So we went. We, I tried to go join, and I, I took my physical. I flunked the physicals because they said I had a heart murmur. So I said, okay, now what am I do? So I went to work for just a few months down at the airplane factory in Wichita. And then I said, I'm going to try one more time. I'm going to get in the Air Force somehow. So the next time I took a physical, he said, you got high blood pressure and you're too nervous. Oh you can't have me. And I said, I, I got to get in. I told him, I got to get in. I got to get in because I didn't want to be in the infantry because I knew no. As soon as, I, as soon as you turn 18, you're in the Army. That, that's right. the way it was. Yeah. So anyway, I finally t- talked to the guy and pleaded with him to pass me, and he did. And so, nice. So anyway, so I said, well, that's great. Now, I'm going I'm to be an officer. I'm going to be a cadet. I'm going to be an officer. I'm going to be a pilot or a bombardier or a, navi- or a navigator. That was the three officer positions. Right. So I got it. So I signed up for that, ready to go. And I, so the day I was 18, got my notice and went the service and we went to Jefferson Barracks, Missouri for, for our basic training. And we were there for about six, well, about a month and a half, about six weeks. Supposed to be there for three months. Got there for three weeks and uh, I said, we're running, the management says, we're running out of 
aerial gunners. So you guys are no longer going to be cadets and officers. You're going to be aerial gunners. So they shipped us off to Kingman, Arizona, aerial gunnery school. And we, so we spent about three months there learning how to shoot machine guns and uh, pistols and, and carbines. That's the three, three weapons. Okay. And so we got that. And then after three months, said, okay, now we're going to go to crew training. So they sent us to Lincoln, Nebraska. It says, all right, this is where you're going to pick up your crew. And so it's, it was very kind of exciting and, and, and scary because we're going to pick up, like in my case, we're going to pick up nine, nine partners. Never right. met them before, didn't know anything about them. They didn't know anything about me. But yeah, they threw us together. And so anyway, that's why we, that's how well that's how our crew was furnished together. And we had, but luckily everybody's always about what kind of a pilot are we going to have for crying out loud, you know, because we had no control over, you know, but we, we got a pilot. He was 21 years old and that guy was something else. He was a gentleman from the square one, the greatest guy I ever met, to tell you the truth. So, but he was the old man at, well, at 21. Yeah, well, he was, he was, he was, uh, there's two guys older than he was, but he was, <laughs> he, was uh, he was a boss. He was our leader. We had, we'd, we'd go anywhere for that guy because he was a great pilot, very good leader, and just very. Always what, just what was his, what was his name, sir? Jim Nixon, James Nixon. Okay. And uh, he, uh, so anyway, we had despite those, but. Was, was, I always thought it was kind of interesting. All the guys were city guys, but me, I was this farm boy. Yeah. I was kind of a, you know, you know kind of a fish out of water, so to speak. So was, I always said, I like to say the guys were all streetwise, but me, I wasn't very streetwise. So. <laughs> hey, what, uh, Rosie, what, what part of Kansas did you grow up in? I was in southeastern Kansas. I was, yeah, southeastern Kansas, south of Topeka. About okay. 50 miles. I, yeah. I, I'm not too far from there. Uh, right now, I'm in Kearney, Missouri. We're, we're just across the state line there. Yeah. So, I, I, of course, my family, my family were French. They came from France. They all lived in Opie, which is about 20 miles from where I, was, I lived. And uh, it was a strictly, it was a 99% Catholic, Roman Catholic fam, uh, community. And that's why I'm a Roman Catholic. And uh, so, anyway, we 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 lived there all, all my young until I was twenty four years old when I left the home, you know. So, so anyway, where was I? Well, you you had met your crew in Lincoln, Nebraska. Yeah, you I met the pilot. Was, yeah, and but it was an interesting crew. We had a the we had a our navigator. He was the oldest guy. He was I think twenty five or six years old. Oh, geez, and he was old. He was an old man, you know. And uh, I think the next oldest of our flight engineer was 22 or 23. And our, of course, our pilot was 21. Our co-pilot was 20. And tail gunner was 18 and I was 18. And I think there are a couple of the guys are 19, mostly 19 years old. So we were really a young crew. <clears throat> and they called us a young crew. Everywhere we went, we were a young crew because we were the youngest crew. Wow. I'm going to do this on just on a whim because the weirder things have happened in life. But, but I have to ask 
When I was in college, I worked with a gent at the State Board Licensing Board for Contractors in Louisiana, and there was a B-24 tail gunner that I worked with there. His name was Cactus Martin. Ring a bell? No. <laughs> okay. I had to try. I had to try. Yeah. I don't know his first name. I think it I think it was Jim, but it was yeah. Cactus Martin. Yeah. So I was gonna say that man's name was Cactus? <laughs> yeah. And that's what everybody called him, Cactus. And uh, <laughs> was, all right. This, we had we had a company, interesting crew. Like I say, we had a great pilot. Uh, he was from Philadelphia and yeah. uh, just a great man. And our, but our co pilot, he was twenty. He'd never been in a B twenty four before. And he was assigned co pilot to, to B twenty four. Yeah. In fact, in fact, the only person in the, on our crew that had ever been in the B-24 was the pilot. He knew how to fly. He was a pilot. He checked out pilot B-24. The rest of us never been in the B-24. didn't know what they're talking about. So, wow. Could yeah. you point to an airplane and say airplane? <laughs> it sounds like that was the qualification. Oh, my God. So anyway, I, I, oh. I was I, my pilot, you know, he was like, what a bunch of motley crew he's got because it, none of them had ever seen a, been a plane because I'd, I'd flown this B-17 during gunnery school, but I'd never been in an airplane. And uh, so yeah. the other guys had been tail gunners the same way. He'd never been in an airplane before. So Insane. Well, let, let me back up. I know everybody's dying to hear the airplane stories, as am I, but... So your 18th birthday, you go down, you enlist, and you wind up in training. What was training like? I imagine it was very different than it is. Well, you know, we, we, you actually, for- we have called, they called those days called basic training, and what you just you know mm-hmm. you learn to march and how to discipline, how to you know respect officers and how to salute, all the thing basic things that, and usually that always happened for three months. You you do a little training in, in maybe a carbine uh, rifle training a little bit. That, but that was all set aside because we were there on six weeks. We were supposed to be there three months. I said, you're going to go to gunnery school. So we missed out on most of our basic training. And so the reason why, for whatever reason, I was just standing around with my hands in my pockets, but I was on a fast track. We were all on fast track. Because they were really gearing up, the Army Air Corps was really gearing up the woman pound everything that moved, which is what we did when we got over there. So anyway, so then we went to Casper, Wyoming. That's where we had our crew crew training. We were there for three months, and uh, that's where the co-pilot learned how to fly B-24. The rest of us learned how to shoot guns out of a a moving target, to add add a moving target. And so, but after three months, they said, that's enough. Got to go overseas now. So so we all got physicals, and... uh, and so when they come to me for my physical, you've got high blood pressure. You shouldn't. Yeah, I'm going into battle. What do you expect? <laughs> well, I, I told I, I told my pilot, I said, I can't leave you guys now. I got, no. They wanted to ground me. And I said, no, I can't do that. You know, no. Together, and I said, you know, that, that wasn't fair to those guys. So anyway. As, as dumb as I was, I talked the flight surgeon into letting me stay on the crew. You know, nice. I look back and I go, that's going to crazy, wouldn't it? But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what were you <laughs> thinking? <laughs> anyway, so then we went, then we, the, the crew was over, and so we sent it home for 10 day furlough, and I said, get your personal affairs in order. 
Yeah. Right? May oh, shit. not come back. So they told us that. You may not come back. Yeah. Okay. So we did. So anyway, then we went, we went it turned out to end up to Topeka, Kansas, which is only about 50 miles from where I lived. So I, I, had, I got a little furlough to say goodbye to my parents one more time. And and then we went, we went we on the tra- on the way to to the East Coast. We stopped in Chicago, and we met a bunch of guys at the at the home at the depot, train depot. they like just coming back. Air crews just coming back from England, and they scared the hell out of us. Oh, it's because it was they were telling me it was bad. You know, was, was, mortality rate was pretty high, and that, and I always like to say that that's when we got that knot in our stomach that was there the rest of the war. Yes. Mm. So, mm. so you, you were changing trains, they were changing trains, and you're talking to each other in the coffee shops and such. And yeah, that's in, exactly in the, right. Yes. So, oh. yeah, so that's that's when the I guess people ask me sometimes, when did you realize you might be going to war? I think that's that's when we realized. And I always remember my, got, I got that not in my stomach. no longer an abstract concept. No, that's where it got real. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So then we then we, they took us to to West yeah, Virginia. And that's where okay. we walked on a boat to uh, a ship to, to overseas. So, so we, uh, we got on our ship and it was a merchant a Liberty ship. In those days, that's when Kaiser was making all these Liberty ships for the war effort. And we were on a troop ship and we were, and we were on it for 26 days. So we got overseas. Yeah. Well, well kind of interesting on the way, it was in a convoy, and one night we had a. There was a big explosion, and a tanker right next to us in the convoy was torpedoed by a submarine, German submarine. I, I was just about to ask you: Was the U-boat, the U-boats in the Atlantic, still a, a problem? Oh yeah, they were a real problem. You know, so we, oh, so we was, we were in a convoy, and we had, we had we had a lot of destroyer escorts, Navy escorts. And they, they were always flitting around, but, but somehow, you know, they got through the screen or whatever. And uh, so they torpedoed a couple ships in our convoy that we were aware of, because we had probably under hundred ships in the convoy. Oh my gosh! And uh, so anyway, so we didn't sleep that night, and and my my, my back up just a little bit. While okay. My crew training. I was airsick every day. Oh, I was going to ask about that because it seemed, didn't seem like they cared, right? Well, no, they did not. But I always said, you know, I, I could walk out. I told my my pilot, I said, I could walk out to that bomber. I always got into the bomb bay. I said, all I had to do was just stuck my head in the bomb bay. I didn't even have one foot off the ground yet, and I was air sick. <laughs> That's not good. That's not good, Rosie. <laughs> well, it was, you know, it was, it was very horrible. Hot, very hot. And uh, well, people throwing up, so there's vomit all over the place, and then high octane gasoline. It yeah. just turned my stomach right, just right then. And but I hung in there, and my pilot hung in there with me. And so when we got ready to go overseas, got on a boat, I got air, I got seasick. But I had a, a sailor come up to me from the boat there in the ship, and he says. 
to get over this seasickness, just, he said, just look at the horizon. Don't look at anything else. Spent about three hours looking at the horizon. Nothing else. Just look at the horizon. I did that. I never got sick, air sick after that, or sick after that. So he cured that. that right? So that was awesome. That was good advice then, yes. right? Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, uh-huh. so we didn't know where we were going to go. Because nobody's saying he's going, he's going to go. We're going east. We know he's going to Europe. We didn't know where. Well, one, one day, one morning, we woke up and we saw the rock of Gibraltar, and so then we knew we were going to Italy. So yeah, okay. Yeah. Whoa, that's and and I'm sorry. Uh, where in Virginia did you go from Norfolk? Uh, uh, that's uh, Newport News. That was, uh, that was oh, Newport News. Yep. Yeah. Okay. We went, we went to St. Pat, uh, Patrick Henry. Base before we went to, to do. Okay, we embarked. And, and how many of you were cargo on that ship? So oh, far, do you recall? They must have been over hundred. I'm sure there's over hundred people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Can I can I ask you a question about your training, your aerial gunnery training? Before we get too far down the road, your okay. aerial gunnery gunnery training. Did you say it was Kingman, Arizona? That was, that was the yeah. So that. So did you, I know you, you said you shot that. machine guns and carbines and handguns, but did you actually get any experience airborne shooting the gun, or was it all Two on the ground? Times we hit one with, with, with Kingman. They took us down to Yuma, which is yep. you know in the air base down there, and they put us on a B seventeen and just took us up to learn how to not just to shoot, but how to you know. We had to have oxygen, you know, like stuff like that. Yeah, we didn't oh, right, yeah. know anything. Because you were, that. so yeah, you guys were flying. How not to pass out in your airplane? Yeah. Uh, flying around <laughs> unpressurized with no, course, really yeah. no heat. Yeah. So, oh my gosh. Well, anyway, we then then they just shoot at moving, shoot at targets on the ground, like ground strafing. <laughs> but that, now, that's all the training we had. That's my first time in air, first time in an airplane. So it's, so, it's you know, that 18 year old kid is fun. You know, you know. I, I don't want to get too far ahead. And if you're going to cover this, just stop me. But so I, I, I have always wondered aerial gunnery from a door gunner, a nose gunner or whatever gun position. How do you keep from shooting your, your own aircraft when you're swinging the gun or, or your wingman who, or, you know, you guys fly in this battle box. Yes. I mean, they're, there's got to be bullets flying. How do you keep from shooting each other? That's what they taught us uh, in, at crew training. So that's, okay. You got to be careful. Okay. Be careful. <laughs> you know, bunch of, you know, a bunch of trigger happy gunners. And uh, <laughs> they said, you got to be careful because you can shoot your own plane down. No, I, I couldn't because I was in, you know, nose good, but wish right. to shoot the wings off their own plane. You know? Right. I mean, if you got excited and were tracking a target and didn't let off the trigger, you could go right through, you know, your wing. That's exactly right. So they right through engine number two. (laughs) Oh shit! (laughs) Okay, all right. I'm sorry to interrupt, sir. And and I am just I am hanging on every word right now. So uh, I'm going to shut up and let you go. So where was? Oh yeah. Well, we went. went, So we went to Casper, Wyoming. That's where we had our screw training, and we were there about three months. And uh, and then that's where we learned how to fly. Well, Copot learned how to fly, of course. We learned how to shoot it. Moving targets and, you know, we, we're moving, the target's moving, how to shoot at those folks. And, uh, of course, uh, we do a lot of ground scraping, ground scraping. 
Okay. Which is most fun for a kid. It was fun. Sure. Yeah. Oh, this is, no, I, you have to remember, I was just 18 years old. This is, this is a, it's an adventure for me. Well, yeah, big adventure until you realize when you met those guys in Chicago and they got it real, yeah. right? Yeah, wait, well, what? I think I have high blood pressure. <laughs> so they, they didn't tell you when you shipped out of Newport News what your destination was, but you woke up, saw the Rock of Gibraltar, so you knew you were in the med and you were going to Italy or, or Africa, right? Yes, that's right. So when we okay. end up, we end up on the far side of the the, the uh, boot, Italy boot, you know. So the Adriatic Sea is the Adriatic Sea on that side, and that's where we we disembarked and bury Italy, and, and they bury Italy. truck up north to Chernobyl, where the where the San Giovanni that base that picture right there. That's where. Oh, that. Whoops! There it comes up. Yeah. So, so that was your. So that was your. That was where you were based out of, right there. That picture, that Ariel. Interesting. That this is these are runways. There's two runways. Top just top corner. There's two runways. Two parallel runways. Yeah, right. Can, all these places were the below that is where they're around the pond or lake or whatever it was. That's where the planes were all sitting. All the hard stands oh. were around oh. that oh. pond or stands. lake. Yeah. And, you know, and okay. the uh, headquarters to the to the, the group headquarters was right that picture right that right that little right in that area. And anyway, so when we got, they got us up there, they, they, they weren't really quite ready for us because uh, we, we were a replacement crew. You know, we, uh, crew uh, the group had been up there since February, and we got there in October. So we were a replacement crew. And uh, so they weren't quite ready for us, but they said, well, we'll, we'll, we'll get you a place to stay. So they, they, they lived in tents, pyramid tents, and uh, with dirt floors. And they didn't have any beds for us or cots, so but, but the officers got cots, you know, army cots, but they didn't have anything for us. But they rigged up some kind of a little bench type thing we, that we could sit on or, or sleep on. Oh, get this, they gave us one blanket, one wool blanket. That was our mattress. Oh, that's on, nice. On a uh, how thoughtful. <laughs> a wooden floor. A wooden, a wooden is actually it's off the ground. And, and now I don't think that let the Air Force crews stay in BOQs on Marine bases because it's substandard. They make them stay out that's, in the Marriott. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah, times have changed, Rosie. Yeah. Just just yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Well, anyway, after about two weeks, they got, yeah, got acquainted and they, they kind of took us around, showed us where the you know, everything was. We had... They had a small hospital, really just kind of a clinic, more or less. And they had a, they had a, a very nice chapel, a religious chapel. And then we had, there was four groups. There's 70, 736, 789, I guess. That was the four. The, the group had four squadrons, or four squadrons. And we were in the seven, four, uh, 738 squadron. And did yeah, this may be silly? I don't know. Did you did you have any kind of a squadron mascot or anything like ours? Was, oh, you're holding the oh, laying hide the banner yeah, there. So there it is. There you go. There's the patch straight in front of you. Yes, sir. And of course, we had this is a this was used in the 15th Air Force. So that was a okay, right. Yeah. And then of course, this is a this is a the Air Force all all Air Force personnel had right. 
on the shoulder patch. Okay. So, and that was Army Air Corps, actually. Army Air Corps. That's what's okay. Air Corps. Yeah. And, and were those patches sewn onto your flight jacket? Or? Uh, well, well, we sewed our own flight jackets, yes. Okay. <laughs> and we, we, of course, we had stripes. We were sergeants. We were, when we went up, mm-hmm. when we went in the Army, we were PFs, privates. And, and okay. We and, and then we got overseas. We were, and the enlisted men came up to be. Buck sergeants, three stripers. Okay. Then after we'd started to fly, it's kind of interesting little side note. As we started to fly, they made us staff sergeants, which is a four striper, three stripes. Okay. And the and reason for that is because the German army, if you were shot down and you were a buck sergeant, which is three stripers, you were a nobody. But if you had four stripes, you were somebody. And they treat uh, treat this much treat you much better if you're okay. So that, that that's makes why, sense. So that's why we end up, and so the but all during that time, all of our officers were flight officers. They were not second lieutenants, and they we said, well, "What's what's the goals with that? They're supposed to be when you graduated from you know, Armadier right. School. You're supposed to be well. Story was that if you weren't top notch." You had to be a flight officer for a while. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so anyway, that was the kind of we just kind of laughed about the us enlisted men. We kind of laughed about the <laughs> jokers we got for officers. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was a sideline. They were great officers. We had a we had a great crew. I, I just, I, of course, I, I say that because we had a good pilot. He knew how to he knew how to manage people. That's us. Holy cow! Is that is that uh, is that your crew? That's a crew right there. Yeah. So for those listening, I have a photo up on there. You can see if you go to Patreon.com and support us, you will get the link to this show, and you can see the, these photos that I'm putting yeah. up. Uh, Rosie, I'm going to put you, you on the spot. Do you remember uh, many or any or all of those names, sir? What's that? Do you, how how many of those names do you remember uh, this many years oh, later? I do you remember, remember all of them? Or? I would, I'll never forget them. They're all. There was all. Oh, God bless you. This is like brothers. I'll tell you, they were. Yeah. Rosie, is that you? In the are you the tallest one in the back row? I'm on the on the top back on the on the. Yeah. Are you the tallest member in the back row? Is that you? No, that's not me. No, no, no. I was I was a shorty. All right. Which which one are you? It's well system right there. Okay. Second one from the left. The picture. First one on the. On the back row, the first one on the left, the back row. That was first okay. one on the left. Okay. Yeah. All right. Now I got it. Yep. I see you. Yeah. Totally. That's yeah. Awesome. And of course, the officers are in. Beautiful. The one on the first one on the left, the officers, that was a pilot. It was Jim Nixon. Okay. And he was a, okay. a gem of a guy. There's no doubt about that. So. Okay. Yeah. I, ha- I have to ask, which one was the uh, top turret gunner? That was the that was the what we call the that was the one two three four next to the back next to the last it's a short guy okay he was a flight, and, and they, they were a flight that, that was a flight engineer flight engineer had the top had the top turret too right yeah. they had so yeah. so he had he had that he was you had he had, he had a you know kind of help the pilot with well and the reason I ask and I'm putting up a photo now I got a ride about 15 years ago in a B24 and I'm showing the photo of from the outside of the top turret my son at the time was about 12 years old yeah, and it, as a twelve-year-old boy, he could squeeze his way into that turret 
but he was claustrophobic. Yeah. And I, so grown men getting into that thing. Yeah, yeah they were all very tight. Well, of course, the ball turret was the worst. You know, you sure, to, yeah. You have to be a crazy to get in that place, you know, because you, you, in the ball turret, you're in the fetal position and down there by yourself, no way to get out. And, you know, it's, uh, well, I guess you could get out, open the hatch and fall out, I guess. It's not for the meek. Yeah. No, not, nothing about that airplane was for the meek. In fact, I recall being briefed when we took it up flying was three points of contact. Whenever you're walking, there's a catwalk That's right. yeah. between the front and the tail section. And he said, if you're going to go back and forth during flight, three points of contact at all times, because if we hit turbulence and you fall off, those bomb bay doors are about as thick as aluminum foil, and you're going for a flight That's right. solo. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely terrifying. The sideline, when we took off plane, of course, the pilot and co-pilot, they had seats and seat belts. The rest of mm-hmm. them did not have seat belts or anything like that. You just sit around wherever you could find a place. Can, can you, I, can you I, imagine that? What I used to do is sit on that catwalk while it was taking off and landing. I said, like, stra- like straddle the catwalk? No, you get that just, just to sit on it and then hang on to the sides of the head. Oh, shit. There were some bars here. I don't know if I've got a picture of that or not. I'll look for that in there. But uh, Hey, Rosie, so, uh, our, one, of, one of our uh, squadron mates here, Chase, asked if you had a choice of which gunner position or was it just luck by luck of draw? How did they assign uh, what well, gunner on, to what? When the, when the, when the, at Lincoln, when we set up the crew, the pilot come back. He says, "All right, we have, we had four, four aerial, three, four, four, three aerial gunners. Actually, three pure aerial gunners on the team." Okay. And so it, everybody else had a position, but so they ask us where you wanted to be, and the tail gunner, he's a wise guy. He's he's from Philadelphia, much smarter than me. He says, "I'm going to be the tail gunner." And so that means two of us left. One of them had to be the ball turret gunner. And so fortunately. You're like, hell no. <laughs> the guy, that, the guy he, was, he was probably six inches shorter than I was. And so he said, I guess I better take the, the uh, ball turret. So I ended up with the nose turret gunner. So, okay. So okay. Never, you know, I'd never been in a nose turret. I didn't know anything about it at all. This is it's the shot in the dark. But it turned out good for me. It was a great place. I liked it. I thought I had the best gunner position in the whole crew. You could see everything was going on. And well, so that, more than you wanted to see sometimes. But was it was the nose uh, was the nose gun and the the bomb sight pretty close together? Well, yeah, the, the bomb sight was right behind the, the nose turret. It was about, the, oh, it was behind the nose turret. The, the B twenty four did not have a nose turret. And that they found out that they Somewhere along the line, he said, you don't have enough firepower up there because the bombardier would actually had one machine gun up there, and he had to do both of those things. So somewhere along the line, they said, we need a turret. So they put a turret up with two machine guns, and so that's where I was positioned. I was in. And bombardier was just right behind me. Were all the guns on on the B-24 50 caliber? 50 caliber, yeah, they're all 50 caliber. Yeah. All okay. had two, two 50 calibers, and uh, the uh, waste gunners had one, one on either side. They were just, so we had 10 guns, 10, 10 machine. Okay. Uh, wow. 
Okay, just because you know the marine in me is is just kicked in here. You know, we we were always cleaning weapons after we fired them. Were you? Did you guys, the, the gunners, have to clean the weapons, or were maintenance guys clean those weapons? Oh, we, had, those? we had to take care of our own machine guns. It's oh a, shit! They would, of course, they would uh, they would put the ammunition in the in the, care, the ammunition okay. boxes, but we had to we had we had to test fire guns every day every time we went out, and uh, yeah. so that means. He had to come back and clean uh, clean the guns, and so that usually took us. Well, with two machine guns, it probably took us two or three hours at least every time we come. Oh yeah. So, so we. So was that so after every mission, after you debriefed and things like that, you guys would have to go out and clean the guns. Clean the guns. That's right. That's correct. Okay. So. All right. And now we gripe about that all the time. So. You know, because so we 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 left off right where so you you had been. You'd been there for a couple of weeks, and they finally got you some uh, places to stay and some uh, accoutrements, and then have you, and you hadn't started flying missions yet before That's we right. got you sidetracked. So they had that. So anyway, the pilot pilot had to fly. He he flew three missions without us because they want they didn't want to put a green pilot out there. You know, the first shot. So, so was he uh, was he sitting in the right seat with an experienced? Uh, yeah, he, he was sitting. There, he was in. The, he was in the right seat. And, uh, okay. He was pilot. Was experienced pilot flew with him. Usually it was yeah. a, sometimes it was a group commander or somebody that didn't have a crew that had on the flight take a mission or something like that. So anyway, he threw flew missions by himself and then we all flew together after that. So Okay, I'm gonna ask a silly question here. I probably should know this before I ask it, but I you know, I'm a knuckle dragon mouth breather, can't uh, you know, crayon eater. when you guys got to the theater and were flying missions was it daytime bombing or nighttime all, bombing? All, all daytime bombing. That's what we all, okay. we all did. Day. Okay. Now, that's just the way the 15th Air Force flew, they, daytime bombing. They, they sent reconnaissance planes out and stuff like that, fighter, fighter planes using P-38s. They would, they, would, they would go out and check for targets, you know, unless, so, but So we all flew in the daytime, except... Towards about, I don't know, about a month or two before the end of the war, they decided that if we could do, if we could harass the general public by flying a plane out there at night, we could we'd bomb them in the daytime and fly around crazy at night that they never got any sleep. Right. And that's, that's, that was the plan. And so, you know, good old Jim Nixon, he's such a good pilot, had a good crew. We were a hotshot crew. I wasn't part of it, but I was part of the crew. But <laughs> come on. <laughs> so, so they said we want you to fly at night, our crew to fly at night, just to go just for harassment purposes. Just right? Harassment purposes, yeah. So yeah. we flew three or four missions. We had nighttime goggles and all that good stuff. And we flew around about about three or four training missions, and then they finally said, "Well, it's getting close to the end of the war anyway." And they said, "Ah, oh, forget that." Thank goodness, because we didn't have any we didn't have any runway lights, you know. Speak oh, shit. There's nothing, you know. So you're up there at night, you didn't even find a runway. You know, they would have a few lights out there, just enough to get a pilot. But you had to have a smart pilot. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> <laughs> so we did that. It's kind of interesting. We, we were, like I say, that I always say that. We were a good crew. We were we were one of the better crews. So I'm not bragging, but we just we were. 
and and that is because we had a good pilot. That was that was, made, made made all the difference in the world. What kind of pilot she had? Because there's good yeah. pilots and not so good pilots, and and we had an excellent pilot. But anyway, we don't. They every time they they would do something different, they'd say, "Well, let's get the Jim Jim Nixon's crew to do that." So so one one time they said, "Well, we're going to have a we want to have a, an interest of the army." We're going to have an infantry officer fly with us on a mission. So, so what they do? They pick Jim Nixon's crew to take this infantry guy up and thing. Another time we had that we had. To, they said, "Well, it'd be a good idea to to listen to what the Germans are doing or listen what listen, what what's the chatter the Germans." So they said, "Well, to do that, we need a, somebody speak German." And, and we'll set it up so we can listen to see what they are. So what they what they do? They got Jim Nixon screwed to take care of this guy. Of course. <laughs> you mean fly him around and let him listen to radio traffic or something? <laughs> are we, you shitting me? Then we had photographers, and they all wanted to fly the Jim Nixon screw. They like they take pictures, you know, of the, the bomb, see if we get started and all that good stuff. <laughs> we had we always we always had. You know, we're supposed to have a 10-man crew. We always fly at least 11, maybe 12 yeah. people on a plane. Oh, my gosh. And I always said, you know, well, that's, that's fun, but it was because of Jim Nixon. You know, he was, he was just, <laughs> just so, he's a great guy. You couldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. And he, he, you know, he, I was, a, like I say, a punk kid from the farm, 18 years old. And he he kind of took a real liking to me. And I think he just kind of made a almost like a father image to me because I was so young, and uh, I, I wasn't battle scarred from living in the city. So anyway, so I, I I admired that guy to this day. I still admire him. So, that's yeah. that's yeah. outstanding. Yeah, it's kind of sidelight. He his daughter lives in Howard, Colorado. Okay. Yeah. And he used to come out and see her, and he first thing he do, he'd call me up, and say, "Come on, we go. We got to go out to lunch, or we got to go down and visit my daughter." He was, oh, that's great. Nice. I, I guess that's one reason he paid a lot of attention to me as a kid. I guess so. Yeah. Anyway, and not to bring up a sad note, but in the pre pre show chat, you told me you're the last of the you're the last remaining of this crew. So we used to we used to get there was there was ten of us, of course, and we had ten wives, and we used to get together after the war. Quite frequently, and I'm the only one left. So they've all passed away. Mm. I'm the only one left. Well, I'm sorry for your loss, but I'm grateful you're here, and uh, super grateful you're sharing That's, this with us. I am. I am too. Yeah, such, such an honor. Very, very humble. Very, I'm it, very humbled to to hear your stories firsthand. Thank it you. It is. It is. As am I. I didn't pre-brief us, but I want to take about a two-minute break here and tell you guys about some other history, and then we'll come back and get into more of your flight missions. Folks, if you'll indulge me for just a moment, I'd like to take some time to tell you about something I believe you'll be interested in. Now, you're listening to this show because you are hearing firsthand from the people who experienced them, these historical events in aviation. And that's a beautiful thing. Unfortunately, in our limited lifespan, we're not able to hear firsthand what happened to shape the world in which we live. Well, I've got the next best thing. It's an exceptionally well-researched podcast featuring compelling and rich storytelling called Warlords of History, hosted by Mark Pimenta. In each episode and series, he takes you through epic historical journeys 
following the fascinating lifetimes of ancient and medieval military leaders who were titans during their respective eras, shaking the very grounds in which they lived, fought, and died. For example, he tells about people like Alexander the Great's father, Philip II, who laid the foundation for the rise of Macedon and Scipio Africanus. He saved the Roman Republic from near ruin during the Second Punic War. While going much deeper than simply retelling a chronology, he explores how the social and political forces were shifting under the feet of these prolific figures, and the defining events that helped to shape their personalities and understanding of the world around them, and how these forces and events came crashing together in a violent fashion to trigger their motivations for taking on the mantle of war, sparking audacious military campaigns, monumental battles, empires were created and destroyed, among other achievements. You'll learn about what these warriors did, and why, and how they did it, and the actions that enabled them to carve their names into the annals of history. Ready to hear more? Join with Mark and dive into each of their lifetimes, their worlds, in the Warlords of History podcast, available wherever you get your favorite podcast. And don't forget to check out the show's website for more, warlordsofhistory.com. We're thrilled to be able to have you on and, and share some real American history. The uh, question, the other question that comes in from Styx is, did your aircraft have a name and did you fly the same aircraft all the time? Okay, I, I, got, I got a model of it here. It's a, okay. A, we flew, I'd say, two-thirds of our mission with the same airplane. It's called Buzz Job. All the planes had names in those days. They all had names, and our, our happened a, a plane that we had was Buzz Job, and it was an old beat-up plane, so to speak. It had, I think, it flew about 119 missions. Before wow! It was wow. Over. So it was never shot down, and it was, a, it was a great plane. We liked it because it was an old plane, but man, it was reliable, and it was lucky, obviously. So, and towards mm-hmm. the end of the war, the, uh, the ground crew got a new airplane. And we liked the ground crew so much. We said they had, they got a brand new plane. So we said, well, I guess we'll fly on a different plane because we wanted to follow the ground crew around because we had an excellent uh, two guys that took care okay. of the plane for us. Yeah, and right. They were they were dedicated. They loved the plane lots more than they loved us. But anyways, <laughs> they they let you guys take their machine. You know, yeah, go on missions. Up, and up, and then, then you come back and they patch it up for us. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh gosh and i'll put this in the show notes but sticks put up it's a web link it's b24bestweb.com slash buzzjob dash v1 dash two dot htm so that's that's a link to your airplane sir so i'll put that, that like, in in the show is that notes. A, do you know repeat is that is that pictures is, is it the bureau um, number of history I, I, do, you, do you know i, I don't know i'm going to try and i'll right. try and go sticks, there and, and sticks, describe put that it in the text here so yeah. we can uh, we can tell yeah. our listeners but yeah if you, if you know my friend if you know yeah okay it was, it was so. a good plane we had and of course the plane like, like you probably can't see it, but they, the east group had the tail markings on the on the rudders sure uh, to, so that you could identify if you were up, because you had to be a little bit careful. We never had any trouble, but you had to be careful because the Germans, they had a few B-24s of their own that they'd captured. For one oh, are you shitting oh, me? So they'd yeah. be sneaky yeah. flying around? Careful, yeah. so, you ah. had to, so you had to be careful. So you had to be able to any stray planes showing up. So, so can, 
can you just uh, t- t- walk us through what an a- what an average mission day look like for you? Like from yeah, from great start question, of, of of the alert when you got alerted until yeah, from re- you got from Reveille to taps. Yeah. I can, I could do that for you. I sure. well, the, 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 of course we had we always had reconnaissance police looking looking for targets. You know, so you talk you know oil refineries, and railroad yards, and stuff like that. And so they were out day before, and then they'd come back, and then the, the, the powers that be would say, "Okay, we're going to help. We're going to fly a mission to this place." And so the night before the mission, they'd notify our pilot that you're flying tomorrow. And saying that's all they said, "You're flying tomorrow." That's that's all I told him. Told him so he'd come and tell us that uh, get ready, we're going to fly tomorrow, so we better be up about five o'clock in the morning. And so, anyway, that's that's when the knot came back in a hurry, in your stomach. Yeah. And uh, I, I myself, I didn't sleep very long that, that night at all. I was tossed and turned all night long. And you know, and then then when, when so our pilot would come tell us we're flying. So anyway, the next morning we had to get up and we had to go to we had to go to Chow first. And nobody ate very much because you know we were up, we were quite upset. About the whole thing, and so then, then the next thing you had was you had to go to the latrine because there was no facilities on the airplane. So and we were going to be flying for about eight hours, so you had to take care of those problems early on. Then, I don't. I I would not have done very well. I'm telling you that right now. <laughs> no, did have little little did tight have, sphincter there. It's like no, I got to go. They had tubes, but. No. Relief. Okay, relief tubes. Okay, 40, 50 degrees below zero. I know you don't want to get your tu- you don't want to get your equipment out in that kind of weather. No, <laughs> holy shit! <laughs> so anyway, get frostbite. Not, no, you know this is not fun to talk about. But holy shit, this was real. I mean, these are phys- these are you know natural physiological things. And I think about this all the time. I'm like, I would have had to shit my pants. I mean, because I. I shit three times a day before noon every day, and and this one not gone well for me. You could handle number one, but number two, you're in you're in your pants. That's it. You get pretty close to that sometimes because it's oh scary you that bad. So. Oh my gosh, that's just horrible. <laughs> anyway, so, all right, okay. I'm sorry, all right, I'm sorry, back to I'm sorry, I'm sorry okay, to back to the day, Rosie. Okay, <laughs> about about seven o'clock in the morning. They, 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 the officers go to briefing in the headquarters building. They, they, all the officers, four officers, went to a briefing, and that's where they talk, talked about where they were going to go, how many enemy any aircraft are going to run to, are going to be any enemy fighters, and uh, all the good stuff that you know. But the checkpoints where the where the where the turning points and where the elevations they're going to be flying and all that good stuff. So, so they, all the officers were doing that. Yeah. And then the Nissan man, we were going to, we go to the supply to get our parachutes for everybody. And uh, that's mainly what we got. I think because we always had our own oxygen mass, our own parachute harness, and our own May West. And so we had most of all stuff at all, but, but it was stored in a kind of a storage area. So we okay. checked that out. Okay. And was that storage area by the aircraft or by your rack in out, your tent? Their headquarters of the building. Okay. All this was pretty tight. We, we probably weren't more than less than a half a mile from where the plane was to where we lived. So we just, it was okay. compact. Okay. Right? Okay. So, so. Anyway, 
as an interesting sidelight. I always thought <laughs> this is great. Fifty years later, some of the guys went over to the old San Giovanni Air Base, and and they couldn't find it. So finally, they uh-huh. they looked around, looked around, and finally saw a gentleman out there, and he says. Did he know anything about an air base in this area? And he said, yes, there was. He said, well, up the road here. So they found the headquarters building, which is an old, it was an old farm building originally. And it had okay. a basement in it. And in the, in the basement, that was the briefing room for the officers. And it had stools, you know, just little iron stools. It must have been, you know, we had probably 50 or 60 of those stools, all row after row. row. And then the, up on the they had a, a bulletin board or board with with a canvas over it, and that's where they they pulled that back and said, "This is where you're going today, guys." So that's where you find out where he's going. Right. So anyway, so that's that was the briefing room. That's when they got all the information. And so anyway, they come there fifty years later. They found this building and they went into the briefing room, and it looked exactly the same as it was when they left fifty years ago. No way! Wow, untouched. The tools are still there. The, Bulletin board was there with the drape over it. It's exactly. It just moved out and nobody ever. It's like the war's over. They left and left everything there. Nobody Frozen ever. Frozen in time. That is amazing. It's kind of crazy. That doesn't make sense, but I don't know. <laughs> was, uh, was the airport turned into, because obviously, you know, things had grown up over 50 years. Was it like vineyards or something? It was, it was all gone. But I think it's just. More or less farmland, you know, because yeah, be we had we had the runways had uh, these I don't know what you call them, but steel mats. Uh, either oh, yeah. it either yeah, AM two yeah, aluminum matting. That was yeah. your yeah. But the rest of it was just gravel, get you know, cadmium gravel. So they were still oh, yeah. there apparently. Some of it was still there, but the more the, the, the oh, part that of, that is part awesome. Of, they, were, they were all gone. So everything it was going to go. Yeah. So, so so seven a.m. You'd go you'd go get your briefing. Oh yeah, get your oh, gear. Yeah. Officers get the briefing. The uh, E's would go get the parachutes, and then, and then when would you? Yeah, they'd come by with the truck and pick us up at the at the supply room, and then we go out the and we go out the plane. Of course, officers were still doing briefing, and so we'd get things kind of set up and get the you know get ready to start the engines and stuff like that for the mm-hmm. for the pilot got there, and uh, so when we got there, then they had to. They tell us where he's gone, what what, 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 what uh, target was going to be, and then of course it'd be a groan or happy, whatever. If it was a tough target, we didn't too happy about that. But if we, what we was looking for, we had what we called if you had a if you had a mission where about had about fifty aircraft guns, we'd say incident. We called that flak. I don't know what that flak means. To tell you the truth, there was so many Germans. Germans, that's a German name, I think, for any aircraft. Okay. You say 50, 50 is okay. That, that sounds horrible to me. 50 gun, but you know, if, you go to, if you go to Munich or, or, or Vienna or, or Linz, they've had 300 guns. Oh, shit. And what, what that reason that was is because the Russians were pushing back and Germans were retreating and they're dragging, dragging all of any aircraft on guns with them. So, so we had a lots of, we had to put up with a lot of anti-aircraft fire. Yeah. So was, it, was that was that your biggest worry, AAA, or was it fighters? No, we we never. I, I was over there. All my missions, I never shot once at a fighter. 
assault. They must stuff. have been getting low okay. on fire. Well, they, they didn't have anybody left, you know. And of course, right. when we were flying, we had, you know, we'd fly with a formation of 28 bombers, 10 guns. That's my next like question. 180 guns. That's a lot of that's a lot of lead going outbound, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah. they didn't. We'd see them occasionally. They would they would lurk out there, and if they got a crippled bomber by itself, oh so yeah, they, you have problems. Yeah. The weakest water buffalo is the one that's going to get attacked by the lion, right? Exactly. Right. Yeah. So, incident in one of the side lights. So, I think in August we 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 started flying in November, but I think it's August or September. We were, they had they had a squadron that lost ten planes. Oh, oh shit! That's a that's a lot from fighter pilots because. They were getting all all the crews were getting a little bit lax about what they were doing, and this, these guys just zoomed in and just riddled the whole squad. So they lost uh, ten airplanes to fighters. Yeah. Holy shit! Yeah, that's horrible. Yeah, it's bad. But norm, normally, we you know we didn't lose that many planes. We we we'd lose you know, a plane or two, maybe one plane a time of time we went up, or maybe two, but not not that many. So. And as the war went on and on, it got less and less. But you had more problems with, you know, with engine problems or running out of fuel and things like that. And then you did enemy fighters. Of course, you had a lot of anti. We had a lot of anti aircraft too. But, but uh, you want so, so enemy fighters. We were just. So let's get back to the day timeline. So the the E's are at the airplane, getting it ready. The the officers show up after their briefing. So then then it's time to get dressed. Get ready. Okay. So you had to, you had to take all your clothes off down to your long underwear. If you had long underwear, so it was in the winter time, it's quite cold. So, okay. so you take it on and and we, and we didn't mind, you know, bare rear and hang it out. Who cares, you know? Yeah. So, uh, so we we dress, but we we had electric suits, electric footy foot, uh, socks, called, and electric gloves. Ba- these are all battery battery these are electric from the plug into the plane actually oh no way yeah and, oh, that's hell. yeah high okay, tech okay. yeah anyway and then and then for then we had we had then we had our, our flying suit so well then we had cover also put on top of that that was just our everyday wear and then you put your flight suits on which were uh, uh, down jackets and down pants and line bullet uh, line boots and Big heavy gloves, line heavy gloves, and we had, but you had, you had electric gloves also, you know. So, so okay. you were pretty good shape, and uh, of course we had we had to have, we had to get our oxygen mask and our flak helmets and our flak suits. We had, had we had those with us, so we had to check out, bring all the stuff out with us. So we had a, we we had a, just a conglomerate of things. In the, it's one of the airplane could take any bombs weighing all that down with right. just the gear you guys <laughs> right. had to wear. Right. I mean, that sounds like, <laughs> that, you know, the guys in the, one of those places where we're in our, some of us are in our garb at base. It, it was, it was that quite, a, it's going to take a little, quite a while to, uh, to, uh, uh, yeah, it's on, yeah, so I mean, you see that or not, but uh, anyway. Oh, yeah. Oh, I can put that up. Yeah. So you guys yeah. in your, uh, so in your had, battle, in your battle dress, ready to go. We had to have May West too, so we had, you know, we have, we have and you know, well, that's another thing I was going to tell you. That's that they give us when we went overseas. It's kind of an interesting story. We all had to check out in a forty-five Colt pistol. 
All right. And we carried pistols, shoulder holsters when we yeah. were flying. And the, That's your air, air crew weapon. Yeah. Yeah. So, and so we'd, uh, but when, when they give us, they didn't give us the guns until we were just ready to get on the boat and go overseas. I guess we always said that, well, they was afraid we'd shoot ourselves or somebody else. <laughs> It <laughs> will let you have them until you're on the boat. That's funny. Gunners is what we were. <laughs> yeah, fifty caliber machine gunners, but we're not going to give you your forty-five pistols until you're out. This is bullet right here. I don't know if you can see that or not. Oh, oh, let me hide this. Hold on. Wait, stick stick that up. Hold there that again, up again, Rosie. please, sir. Yeah, oh, that's yeah, a big. That's fifty that's, caliber machine gun bullet. Yeah, that's a big hunk of lead right there. Yeah, they were big boy. That. that I tell you, they we do ground strafing practice. I tell you, man, those things they'd shoot up everything. I tell you, they just obliterate a target. Yeah, something, yeah. yes, sir, yes, sir. Yeah. Anyway, so then wow. we get we get we get then we had to get ready to to you know get get our garb on, and that was officers would come out and we'd kid them. I said, "Well, we're ready to go, and you guys aren't dressed yet." And so they they finally get everything dressed, and so we get in the plane. And then they, to start the engines, you had to have a that air, that is airplane, the, the number three engine over here. Mm-hmm. It had a generator in it. You but you had to have it. We had a like just like we call it a putt putt, but it was just a little. That's like a washing machine engine or your ancient. Yeah. So I, I have a picture up right now, and, and that, it's showing. There's a number three, but that's actually the number four engine that the number three is on. For those that are looking <laughs> yeah, at this, yeah, the number right, three yeah. is the is the inboard the engine inboard. on the right. Yeah, one. The inboard, yeah, yeah. It's not there. Yeah. yeah. That, so. and that's where you. That's when you then you start that engine with a little putt putt, and but once it started, it had a generator and it could or started so they could it, you could start you could start the one two and four engines from the number three engine. Why that was that way, I'm not, not quite sure. But anyway, so so we had to start the engines, and uh, and, we, and then, of course, we had to check out, you know, the pilot and co-pilot check out all, all whatever, the, whatever they did, you know, check out. And with the flight engineer, the three of them would go through their check, checklist. And then after that was, uh, it was probably about getting close to 8 o'clock, in the morning, and they said it was time to time to get ready to take off, and so the, the signal would be, and then you know each group, each squadron, which was seven planes, would taxi out, you know, one after the other, and we take off about a minute apart. Each plane was about a minute apart. And what was kind of interesting, I always thought this kid is interesting anyway. That they pull up. We had we had uh, six or twelve, 12 yeah, 12, 12 Twelve five hundred pound bombs. That's what we carried, and so and so we get we go up to the end of the runway, and the runway was not too long. So they, the pilots would ram up the engines wide open and with with the brakes on, and then they mm-hmm. release the brakes and away you go. And uh, and sometimes you didn't get off the ground. We lost several planes that way. Oh, get off the ground. So. But not not too often. I think it's happened three or four times while I was there. But that's that's that was the problem. You know, it, was, it wasn't enemy fighters. It was yeah. crazy other things that went on. So sure, yeah. sure. And were were you at your station from from takeoff to landing, or no, did, were you? We had no, we had, none of us were at our stations except the pilot and co-pilot. 
Okay. Yeah, and the rest so, of those are wandering around someplace sitting there. Like I say, I sit back in the bomb base with the bombs. I was taking them yeah. Okay. Not strapped in, not just, just, just hanging on to something, right? Uh, yes, hanging on. Is that amazing? And you couldn't put, you had the guys at the tail, tail section. There was three, four guys back there. They had to be kind of pushed up against the bulkhead. Right. Away from the tail. Wow. They couldn't have the tail. In. So in the same way, I think the bombardier and the, and the, navigator there in the nose part and they they could stay where they were but the rest of us are someplace else rosie i'm I'm trying to keep track of the timeline here just on average day so it sounds like you got up at five and by the time you got maybe is this like eight or seven or eight or no probably eight or nine by the time about eight o'clock is when you're ready to take off that's when you're rolling okay eight o'clock holy shit okay so yeah wow so the marine corps saying holds true we do more waiting around before 9 a.m than most people do all day Uh, (laughs) yeah right (laughs) you were already moving by eight (laughs) oh yeah they were doing like say we we flew in formations of 28 planes we had wow each group had each uh, each squadron had seven planes and so we had four squadrons in our group so they usually go out well, trying to rendezvous 28 planes. So, you know, so would you guys circle over the base to get joined up and then no, go, or would you join up in route? They had a place in route someplace, in some okay. small town or something. Yeah, and, orbit over a small town, join up. There. Okay. Point. Yeah, and then once, usually that was before we got over the water. We had to fly over the Adriatic Sea. And, and so we, we were in formation by that time. Okay. That's when things got kind of hairy sometimes because it was cloudy. You couldn't see the ground, so you couldn't find your rendezvous point. You couldn't see it. Oh, yeah. yeah so, and things would get kind of testy because you took a long time to get into formation and you were using fuel. So, and we just had very enough fuel to get up there and back anyway. So, it, was, it got kind of you know, nasty two times, cussing each other out and so forth. But anyway. <laughs> But then we then we took off the site and and so and we flew over the Adriatic and, and of course we're trying to gain altitude because we flew when we most of the time we flew we were probably twenty four twenty five thousand feet high so we had we trying okay. to drive big old lumbering bomber up with a fully loaded gasoline and and bombs it's hard to do so it took quite a long time but once we got ten thousand feet then it's time to put on oxygen and that's when we that's when we went to our positions when we got to be ten thousand feet because that's that was required to put on oxygen mask at that time okay so so that's about so that that probably took you know i don't know probably an hour but before that we had to test fire machine guns we always had to test fire machine guns so this formation kind of spread out and then we'd shoot Try to not hit anybody. Hit anybody. <laughs> and, uh, so aim towards blue. Aim towards blue and squeeze the trigger. Uh, oh my gosh! Our, hey, our, right. Our poor, our oh. poor Walter Gunner. Uh, he's he was a problem. I'd say, well, of course, we always said, "Well, no, you've want to be a Walter, you got to be kind of crazy anyway." But well, yeah, he was having trouble with these guns all the time. And <laughs> our pilot, old Jim Nixon, he said, crying out loud, can't you guys help that guy? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but he, he was okay. But, you know, he's, he's just, he was just a, a problem. And, hey, Rosie, you can't yeah. even see it on the photos that I have. It's down low, and, it, and you know, a mouse could squeeze into it, but that's about it. Yeah, well, that's right. They're very tiny. And, and of course, the, the way that Walter worked, the Walter was up. 
And then when you got up in the sky, they had a hydraulic hoist to lower the ball to yeah, right. drag on the ground. If it was uh, normally sitting, if it was just sitting, you know. And so anyway, but you you guys carried twelve five hundred pound bombs. How many rounds of fifty cal would you carry? I know I knew he was going to ask that because I was thinking about okay. myself and I don't know. Well, okay, so uh, let me let me I, ask I would it. Say in- we probably had a, at least. 200 or 300 rounds for each gun I per gun yeah and okay. and so so I, I i need you to help me dispel a wives tale so were the 50 caliber belted rounds do you know how long they were i know you i know they were probably in a box you carry them out to the they're air- in the boxes so we didn't see that huh? do you know how what it measured out if you no. pulled that belted ammunition out no, I sure don't because I don't think I ever saw it. Tell you the truth. Say the rumor is it was nine yards long, twenty-seven feet, and and uh, the reason I say that there is you. because there you go. Uh, they because you know guys would come back and they'd say how'd you how'd it go and we say you know and the they saying was I gave them the whole nine yards. Oh yeah, well that's right. Yeah, that's where that came mm-hmm. from. Yeah. But, uh, okay. I, I don't think. All right, so. I was hoping you could. You, I was hoping you could either confirm or deny that for me. Yeah. Well. I okay. Think, so about two hundred rounds a gun. That's a lot. And those. Something. So. That's a lot of weight right there. That's it, a lot of weight in. Yeah. And those those guns probably weighed, I'd say sixty or seventy pounds a piece. They were they were big guns. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And then, but. But that also tells me you you didn't actually load the ammo belts. They were we they were loaded for you. Load, okay, the belts were loaded. Yeah, because okay. they would be, yeah. be much more. Yeah, they'd be quite heavy. Because was okay. anyway. So anyway, when we got to ten thousand feet, we got to be in. We had to get, be in our positions, so our positions, and, and in our turrets, and and then we put on had to put on oxygen mask. Okay. Uh, connect up our intercoms because we had we had intercom talk to, we could talk to everybody on pl- on the plane. The pilot could talk to other other planes, but the crew could not. They, we could just talk to within the plane. So, okay. So we had to get that set up and get your oxygen mask on. Get your. We always had our flak suits and black helmets, but we didn't put them in the turret in the turret because they were too cumbersome. We just used those when we was going over the target. We'd uh, we'd put those on. So. And then we take off the target, and and then we when we got uh, there's always when you went, went to the target there was they, they told you what the elevation you were to the pilot, what elevation you was going to be in, and 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 then they had what they called the, you know, you familiar with the PI? I don't know what that PI stands for, but that's the point where you turn and you're going to the target, and no matter what, you stay that on that. that that so is the IP is the initial point, yes, yeah, I, and then you would turn and head towards the target, and that and that was your run in, your target right. run in. And they used yeah, to we, say, well, once the flight got too heavy, we wouldn't go there, but that was not the case. Once you once you that IP turn, you were on line to the target, and no matter what, you went, you know, right. And so, That's crazy. Right. so the Germans knew that, so. They'd always figure out where the IP was and yep. shoot because over, it, shoot everything. Wait till you were inbound. Yeah. Yeah. And at some point in the bombing run, the 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 pilot turned the airplane over to the bombardier, right? That's right. He, That's he right. Coupled, coupled it up to the autopilot and, they, yeah, and the yeah, bombardier was, actually flew yeah. it at that point. What they call the Norden bomb sites, what it was. And that was a gyroscope, I guess it was. Well, I don't know how I understood yeah. it. But that was right. And it turned one it's magic. Some place. Before 
actually they got to the target. They turned over to the bombardier and they, they flew the plane. So, and then when they, and of course, as soon as they, as soon as they, uh, we all, we all dropped the bombs at the same time. So, you know, in a sense, sometimes you didn't need, really need a bombardier except because you had a, a head right. guy who was going to drop the right. bomb. So, but there anyway, no, no matter. We all dropped <laughs> at the same time. All dropped them all, all, all 12 bombs. Same time, you know, we didn't string them out or anything, just um, unloaded. And then, of course, as soon as you unloaded, then they wanted to rally away from the flak because that's where the flak was the heaviest. Oh, you bet. The sky was be black, I'll tell you. It was a very sky was and it, black. Very, very scary. It was, really, it was really frightening. You know, that, that you know, the whole mission was eight hours, but uh, it's uh, that probably 30 seconds. Over, right over the target. That's when you. That's that was the scary part. Really right. Scary. And now here here's a stupid question, but I have to ask it, and and I'll tell you why I ask it when when I'm done. Could you could you hear the flak exploding from the B twenty four? Probably not to. over the engines. Yes, you could. You could hear. Was, okay. it, was it was it loud? You could, you could hear it explode and see it explode, and you could hear the sometimes hear the shrapnel hit the plane. So oh okay. shit. So it was, uh, yeah, there's a show title there. A, Sometimes it, you could hear the shrapnel hit the plane. Oh yeah. man! So it was uh, quite quite scary for an old farm boy. I'll tell you, don't you? Oh shit! Are you kidding me? <laughs> quite scary I'm scared for just, just listening here, to you talk. Sitting about here, it. 75, 80 years later, I'm scared. <laughs> I'm just listening oh, to you talk about it. The hair of my arms are standing up. I'm hearing, I'm hearing like I'm hearing like metal hitting the airplane. You know, every yeah. time there's a and oh, so yeah. uh, was, and it, was it, it coming turbulent? through that plexiglass? Was, was it, it turbulent when the flak was going off around yeah, the airplane? It, it kind of wobble, you know, because oh, where, where the bullets or where the explosions were. Well, and the reason I asked is we've had several guys on who flew in various Gulf War scenarios, particularly the F-16 guys reported that it was surreal to them that they could see the flak and they could see it exploding, but they couldn't hear anything. But, you know, they're in a, in a pressurized cockpit with double hearing protection and a doing nice 400 on knots and, yeah, too, doing 400 knots and nice, right. nice and comfortable. It was actually warm and or cool to their, de- <laughs> right. to their desire by a little rheostat. So none none of this, none of this caveman stuff that you were having were to go flying through. Unpressurized, you know, with yeah. the guns hanging out, open windows and doors and uh, let's see, uh, uh, you know, yeah. minus, uh, I yep. forgot. You minus know, 40, 50, yeah. Minus yep. 40 There's degrees. 40, 40, 50 degrees below zero. Yeah. Oh, my God. And you can't, uh, the picture I'm showing right now, if you look behind the star on the fuselage, you see that that's an open window. That's about a three yeah. or four foot by three or four oh, foot yeah, square. It's about three by four foot. Yeah, that's for the waist that's Giant gun. hole. For the yeah. waist gunner. Yeah. 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 It's just a giant hole, uh, and that's on both sides of the airplane. And I'm, God forbid, enough turbulence. I swear you're going out. I stood by that window for about two seconds, and I went, "Oh no, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have a guys, parachute on." You guys weren't. You guys didn't like tether yourself in or anything, right? You were completely no. loose, moving around in there. Oh yeah, correct? we had seat belts in the turrets. The other guys okay. like, had their waist okay. cuts, so you just went back there. You know. Oh shit! Okay, oh. so you're inbound to the target. Flak's going off all around you. 
you're hearing dink, 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 hoping that some of that crap isn't coming through your plexiglass window and or the aluminum, the thin aluminum siding. Yeah. So then, um, and yeah, then how the, long was that run from the IP into the target? Oh, it seemed uh, it seemed like forever. A small eternity. It was, it was probably I would, three or four minutes from the IP to to the target. To and so, of course, as soon as we dropped the bombs, then they'd rally away. There's going to be some other crews coming, you know, some other bomber groups coming right behind us, or maybe above us or below us. But, so wow. anyway, so. When they wow. would rally out, and then, of course, we'd be still in one piece, which we turned out to be by this kind of, could kind of relax a little bit. But, yeah, but you, you still, there's always a danger of uh, fighters. We didn't have any. We didn't get any, but they were, there was, hmm. there was some. Well, out. you never, you didn't want to let your guard down, especially That's after that squadron lost all those planes, right? For letting yeah, their guard yeah, down. Yeah, yeah, be careful. So, yeah. Oh, oh, <laughs> so anyway. Yeah. What was interesting about the flak? I, I know I, to this day I can't figure it out. Those guys, those Germans, you'd be flying twenty four thousand feet, couldn't see us. They couldn't see us from a, you know from the ground. You can't see that far. Yeah, right. They'd shoot a shot, and the first shot would be right on you. Mm. It might was it radar guided. Was was it right? or something elevation wise? They were there. Yeah. They were there. I, 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 wow. I just can't understand. I, I never could. Yep. Dumb kid, I just couldn't figure that out. Yeah, and to this day, but they were very good about right elevations. You know? How about Ugh. that? They might track you, be ahead of you, back of you a little bit, or side to side, but they were right on the right elevations. So. so you you led off our our interview with that story that where a uh, any aircraft round went off right. In front of you, and you guys all thought, "Oh shit, this is yeah. it!" Because yeah, they got us dialed in. All, they got us. We got us. This. The next shot's going to yeah. get us. But yeah. I can tell that story now. I guess. So. Spoiler right, alert! So Spoiler alert! It missed. <laughs> I am so glad it didn't get but, you, Rosie. Because uh, the next shot was just about. Was, the first shot was about. I you know, it's hard to guess what the hell, you know how far, but it looked like it might be in the, you know, the 100 feet or 150 feet in front of us. That's way the too close. The second shot was the same place. They were tracking us, but they oh. didn't have the track right. They had the elevation right, but they didn't have a track, so it was about 150. And we had five or six shots that way. Wow. And then they didn't hit us. I was said, well, boy, they missed a cog on their gun. We're dead. But we just, we just lucky. We just very lucky, you know. So, wow. You know, so, uh, well, sometimes so, it's better to be lucky than good. But I did end up with a cracked turret cover. It was plexiglass, and it was pitted, pitted quite badly. Yeah, shrapnel cracked, cracked it, and cracked, cracked it. Yeah. So, and <laughs> well, the guy, the, the flight engineer, he was in his turret, and a piece of shrapnel came through the turret and fell down on the floor on the flight deck by his feet. Piece of trap, a piece of that, I don't know, about two inches long. Oh my God. Okay. Inch and inch square or something like that. But it didn't hit him. <laughs> but, but it spent, it got spent, something like, you know, thrown through. So, holy so, shit. Yeah, souvenir. <laughs> so, so in all the, how many, how many, how many missions did your crew fly? Well, you had to, the, supposed to fly 35. And then what they did, the, Power said B, they'd look at losses and they were always adjusting 
how many flights to take that you could had to, had to fly. When we were there, it was 35. Oh, my gosh. That's it. So in the beginning, I think, what, it was like 20 or 25? 20, 20 or 20, 25, I think, over in England. It was 25, yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. And that, that's not, you know, that's not very many, but to the guys flying, I'm squad, yeah. Okay, I, I so you so when you came back from the mission, how many days off would you have before you flew again, or would you fly? Not every third day, we'd fly better, or we'd, we'd try to fly every third day. But we were over there during the winter. We flew from from November tape to April, so the weather was lousy a lot of the time. Kind of always here, you know. And so did, would weather scrub your missions before you launched, or you get? But you always had to go through the process. See, that's the problem. Yeah. You sweat it out and think he's going to be killed and the next day. And, <laughs> and then they scratch the mission. So, so you know, we took so long time to fly the missions. We had, I think, I flew 32, I think 32 missions when the war was Holy over. Cow. But anyway. So, uh, okay. Obviously, as a crew, you, you guys, your crew was was pretty tight you know you, oh, yeah. You, yeah. you ate together you you socialized together i'm guessing that sort well, of thing well the, the officers of course they the four officers they had their own quarters and stuff. so we, we were kind of two groups and you know the missing men you know we lived together but you know, officers they lived in another place together so so on but, your on your downtime uh, how did you keep from because uh, you know there's a lot of stress and you have to relieve stress what did you guys what what was the average day that you were what was downtime like for for your crew what, well what, what, yeah well of course you usually the like see the the day after the mission we had to go clean our guns we always we did that after you know, so that was several hours of that was several hours we right. did that, that good part of the day but then we had to you no know, we we had a we had to, we had a shower it was you had to walk about a mile a mile and a half to the shower and uh, so we didn't do that very often, but we did, you know, <laughs> once a week. <laughs> but, anyway, Whether you uh, needed it or not, huh? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but the, it was kind of interesting in our group. I don't know what the other players that our our officers, we used to play games together. We played touch football and basketball and stuff like that. I, I don't know whether, yeah. the, whether the other crews did that or not, but our crew, the officers, you know, that they were, they were, they were set up. You know, they were above us, you know. We were listed men. They were officers. So we treated them as officers. And, and uh, But we used to play games all the time, play football. Well, it, sounds like, it sounds like you guys had a tight crew. Yeah, we had, we had a very tight crew. That's and, awesome. of course, as a matter of fact, we after the war, it was about 10 years after the war before we figured it out, but we decided we should have reunions. We used to have reunions for <laughs> three years. With the crew and the wives, and we'd go. Yeah. Also, so I, you know, I communicated with him. With him. my pilot, he was he used to travel and he'd come to Denver. And every time he came to Denver, he'd call me up and we'd go out and, oh. and have dinner and whatever. You know, so that's it. Very, that's that's very, just outstanding. And a lot of the officers didn't do that because uh, you know often officers are officers and his men are different, different category. But our officers were not that way at all. Yes. It was yeah. what we called regular Well, it guys. sounds like they were much like, as, as Fig points <laughs> out, doing servant-based leadership. Yeah. We knew our place. You know, yeah. it's, you know, they were officers and we were enlisted, and we understood yeah. that. Yeah, so. But they were sure to take care of you guys 
yeah, as well. Not to not to not to hold that over you, but so we got a question from uh, so, from a listener. Uh, what what was the part of that whole mission process from wake up from from Reveille to Taps? It, when you first got there, what was the the biggest surprise or the most uh, something that you, I would say maybe you weren't prepared for, or that was the most unusual? Well, I, that you I, know, I, oh, I think I think we did training missions. Also, we didn't fly. I mean, we flew mm-hmm. quite a bit on training missions. And uh, I didn't realize we do that, but I, I would say we probably, like I say, we flew actually on, like I said, I flew 20, 30, 32 missions, pilot 645. We probably had 10 training missions we'd fly around, and they'd, or they'd send the uh, P 51, that, that was the American fighter pilot. And, uh, mm-hmm. and they'd attack us, you know. And, but they never, never get very close. You no. Know, I don't blame them. You know, a bunch of tri- trigger happy gunners. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to get. To, to, hey, hold on, we're good guys. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we do that. So then we do that. Then we we do some practice bomb run someplace. But most of the time, we had a lot of time. We had a lot of time off. That's all. We just. Well, how was the chow? The officers was not too bad because once in a while when we fly at night. We got the, the enlisted men got to eat with the officers, and they had better chow than we did. So now we're talking. That was lousy. Yeah, we had, okay. we, had, we had well, we had powdered eggs, powdered eggs all the time. That's for breakfast: powdered eggs, Oof. dry toast, and, and uh, some kind of Vienna sausage. The Vienna sausage was another one. That's you know, Vienna sausage. <laughs> That's the, Every day of the week. The, <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was lousy. Tell you, it was lousy, but, you know, yeah. guys, you know, what the heck. We were all in the same boat together. So Yeah. Just, Did you ever get shit on a shingle? Yeah, out. well, that's right. We had some of that, too. Yeah. Yeah, okay. But we, it's kind of <laughs> interesting. We'd, <clears throat> we'd, once in a while, probably once every month or something like that, they'd have fresh eggs. Oh uh-huh. man, that must have been just so, so, awesome. But the problem was, we knew we was going to have powdered eggs, so you didn't know when you was going to have fresh eggs. So we always have to. One of the guys have to get out of bed, <laughs> go up. The, oh yeah, you could. Yeah, you, know, you had to be there every day just in case, right? Yeah, so, so <laughs> going up and see what they had. And they had fresh eggs before we'd all pile out. <laughs> Oh, that's, that's fantastic. I have I have two I have two quick questions for you, and these are this is a you know you don't have to go in great detail, uh, but I'm very curious. So, on your missions, you said you shoot two thirds of the missions in the in the old. Uh, I'm gonna I'm just gonna call it the battle axe. It was the buzz the buzz job buzz job, and. Did, did you ever have, you know, you had to shut one down or shut two down or maybe got flak in one engine or, you know, did, did you ever not make it back with all the engines running? Oh, uh, well, very seldom. I, I would say half the time we had at least one engine, maybe possibly one engine out. <laughs> half the time? <laughs> but, you know. Okay. Okay. That's, that's fair. I, I was yeah. I was expecting worse than that, but that's oh, pretty sorry. good. <laughs> Well, you know. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. And my next question is I, so you, so you were there, you were there in Italy on victory in Europe day, right? Yes, it was. Or were you flying that day? T- no. t- tell me about that day for you. Well, we were, we were, the war, I think the war was over. That's when they announced the war was over May the 8th. And we flew our last mission April the 25th. So it was, you know, several days. We, 
we pretty well knew that the war was winding. Things were winding down. Things were winding down pretty quickly. But it was kind of interesting when they when the when they announced May the eighth. They, they, they we had PXs. You couldn't you know you could walk in and buy stuff, but they had PXs sure. and supplies. And of course, they opened all that. So they had beer running out their ears, <laughs> beers and all sorts of good stuff. It was really. <laughs> and I was we always used to kid the guys after the war that. The people that had flown earlier and went home before the end of the war. And they missed the party. We were celebrating when the war was over. And this, yeah. Course they, they missed out on the celebration. Yeah, they missed the party. Damn it. Well, I have to ask, did, did you bring home an Italian bride? <laughs> no. Okay. All right. yeah. The only woman that I can really remember seeing was uh, they had a Red Cross lady when okay. I said, I should I talk about, talk about missions. How the, when, we got, when we got home from the mission, First thing you know is you're very tired, right? And so, but you had to undress and you know redress, and so so you had pilot and co-pilot and flight engineer would go over the problems with the plane and what and it's we'd all look for you know holes in the plane. So because the, yeah. the ground crew had to patch all that stuff up, for, so that plane had to be ready to go two days later. Did, so. did you have to go to a debrief, get yes, an intel did. debrief? So, okay. so, so we went, and I always had to go to a debrief. And we went over and we talked to a debriefer, and uh, he, what he was looking for was, you know, did you see any enemy fighters? How much flak did you have? And it was it was a cloudy and all the blah, blah, blah. And did you right. see that target? You bombs hit the target, so forth. And everybody went through that debriefing. But first, when you got there, they gave you everybody a shot of whiskey. That was just. That <laughs> now that's how you debrief a flight, brother. That's like, just, to calm, just to calm down? Uh, or that's was it a what, victory? That's what, that's what it's You're... for, is because, you know, some of the guys, me included, and the only problem is I didn't drink, so I didn't drink it. But, but, but So, hey, was it was it one shot per guy, or could you give your shot to another guy? So yeah, that's for so maybe a candy bar or something like that. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> first, I gave it away. Then I thought, wait a minute. You know? <laughs> okay, but, I get something for this. <laughs> remember, repeat. Remember, we're talking about a, a eighteen, or you're probably nineteen at that point, right? Yeah. No, some, I got turned into nineteen before we got back. Yeah. Nineteen yeah. year old Rosie coming back from a combat mission, <laughs> and he says, "No, I'm okay. I'm gonna take the candy bar." I mean, I totally get right. it. But uh, but it's kind of interesting. Our pilot, he drank, but he, and he'd take that shot, that shot. But he would never drink when we were training. Everything he would never drink. I'll be darned. Said I got, okay. I've got, I've got nine guys counting on me. I can't, I can't be carousing around. So anyway, he sounds, he sounds like the real deal. Yeah. So anyway, right. so then, then they had, when they had a debriefing, and then, then they had the Red Cross lady camp. Okay. And that, that was the only woman I ever saw on the base the whole time I was there. And she'd give us, uh, we got donuts and coffee if we wanted, which I didn't drink coffee either. So, okay. But I, but I ate the donuts. And uh, there you go. Did, did you ever, did you ever, when you were on downtime, did you ever leave the confines of the air base there? Well, we, well I, th- I think probably two or three times. So we went to town. We get a haircut. When we get a haircut, we go to town. We pay a nickel for a haircut in town. And <laughs> what an we, outrage. What a Ita- ripoff. <laughs> were, were the Italians a good host for you well, at that you point? Know, they, they, but some of the big, like Foggia, which is, was a bigger town, quite a bit bigger town. And they said, don't go there because you know, they, didn't, they didn't like Americans at all. But 
Chignola, which is about 30,000, very poor. They, they were more, you know, they, they relied on, on some American dollars. So. In fact, we had the, so we used to go there once in a while. And, and so our, our Walter, you know, he used to go there all the time and get drunk. But most of the guys. Did. Well, he was in the ball turret. He had a lot to deal well, with, right? Yeah, yeah. there's there some rights and privileges. <laughs> <laughs> I listen, uh, We have a listener that's, that has a question, and actually it's a question that I was going to ask anyway. It's a really good question, and I think I know the answer, but let's, let's ask it, Rosie. Which, when all hell was breaking loose, flack, everything happened on, which member of your crew was the calmest? Our, our one of our waste gunners, we call him waste. He was AX, he was the armament, yeah, non-com. He was the one set the bombs and so forth. So, uh, you know, we had, to, had to, we had to set the fuses on the bombs. Right. Took off. He had to pull the he had to pull the pins right. He had to go okay. through and pull the pins. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. Had, 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 it had a safety pin in it, so to speak. So, if we, so if we dropped the bomb during takeoff, it would not go off. Right. So, yeah, couldn't arm, couldn't arm without safety, the pin. Yeah, okay. Safety, it was a safety. We call them safety pins, but that's how we're. And, okay. and I, so, I thought you were going to say the pilot. So there you go. This guy had ice water in his veins. <laughs> but anyway, so then, so yeah, that's where we had an arm, but non-com, and he then then when he, after he took off, he'd take the safety pin out and stick a wire where the safety pin was. So when they dropped the bombs. The wire was held in place, and the bombs got so they immediately, as soon as they dropped, they were, they were charged. Yeah, fuse was fuse an arm, and that would be it. yeah activated. Yeah, so anyway, but anyway, this fellow, he was a Cherokee Indian, a full blood Cherokee Indian. That guy had ice water in his veins. The flak would be flying all over around him, and he didn't he didn't even flinch. The other wow. uh, other white waist gun, he's cringing in the corner or something like that. <laughs> but this guy, I, 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 I guess it's because he was an Indian. I'm just guessing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. That's pretty awesome. So you're saying, you know, he wasn't, you know, he never cowered. He was just, I mean, he didn't, he wasn't, he was just stood there. He in, just stood uh, there and took it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. No shit. Like Stonewall. Well, that's, uh, well, that, of course, I was, I remember the back of the plane, but I remember the guys who were talking about it. That guy, he's not afraid of anything. Well, <laughs> you, you know, as as our man, uh, as our man Bago said, if you had to pick anyone to be calm, and you wanted the guide that has fuses, as as he's pulling the fuse, he's arming the fuses <laughs> on the bomb. You want him to be the calmest. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. don't need a nervous Don Knotts type uh, arming your bombs. <laughs> oh, I dropped the pin. I used to help him do that though, but I wasn't that calm. <laughs> But he was in charge. Wow. No. I, I repeat, awesome. I'm kind of out of questions, and I, I, I feel like, I feel like we've been talking for ten minutes. I don't want it to stop, and I know oh, we've been talking no. for a long time, Rosie. Oh my gosh, it's it's been such a, it's 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 it. It's an honor. It's a pleasure. I feel like I'm in the awe of. Well, I mean, yeah. we, we we are in. We are in awe. Period. We're not. We're 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 in we're in rare waters here uh, with you. Yeah. Well, let, let, uh, I got a couple more questions then. I guess uh, tell us tell us about getting home in the reunion and but did you have a girl back home? I, you were only eighteen, so you know. Well, but I was... had a part time girlfriend, but not really. It was kind of okay. interesting. All the guys did have girlfriends. Three of the three of the guys were, mar- were married. Okay, uh, and had kids, but 
Oh. And all of them had, all of them had girlfriends, you know, steady girlfriends. I had on and off part time. She used to write letter me once in a while, but anyway, she she okay. gets to me while I was overseas, so I didn't have a girlfriend. So, so, Dear Rosie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's it. so but it's kind of interesting. All those guys that had girlfriends, they all got married shortly after they got back from the war. And of course, I didn't have a girlfriend, so I didn't get married. So but okay, that time anyway. So. Well, got back to your family, though, and as, as I think it was Bago, someone pointed out earlier, going, I can't imagine saying goodbye to my 18-year-old son going off to be a nose gunner in well, the European pretty, theater. Oh gosh, I, I can't even imagine that. It's pretty difficult for my parents, they, especially my mother, because I was her baby. I was her baby. Sure. I was her young yeah. And Oh, uh, Rosie, I can't even imagine. So anyway, so it, uh, it was it was. But she, my, my mother used to write to me almost every every day. She, she, she stuck with. I was, we had, you know, I don't know, they still have, okay. had the Stars and Stripes. Did they still have the Stars right. and Stripes? Yeah. They do. Well, yeah, they did. Actually, they did. They do. 20, yeah, yeah. Well, they used okay. to, uh, they, we just used to gripe about that because they'd come out, the, the headlines, uh, 20 bombers shot down today. Oh, shit. Nobody wants to see that, right? With their family and a, as, a, as a crew member. Back to the States for crying out loud. <laughs> yeah. My mother would have a stroke right there on the spot. But anyway. Mm. But, uh, but they, we used to love to read the Stars and Stripes because they, they tell us whether he's losing the, losing the war or winning the war. So it's mm-hmm. do. And then, and what, what did you do when you got when you got back? Did you get out right away? Did you make the no, military I, I, career? I, for, I didn't have. There was a point system. If you had eighty five points, and they how how long you been in service, how long you been overseas, and whatever decorations you got, they, that's how the point system. So I had to okay. wait about three months before half the war was over before I get out. So. Okay. So uh, yeah. can I ask Rosie what uh, when you separated from the Army Air Corps, what decorations did you have? Well, we had the, the, we had the air medal. The most, most, yeah, you got, you got the air medal. The way they got the, the air medal, if you have yep. 10 nations, you got the air medal. Then yep. never, ever 10 nations after that, you had an oak leaf cluster. Oh, yep. so, so I had 30 air medal and two oak leaf clusters. Then, and and so, you, it was that with Combat V? The air medal with combat V. I'm I'm assuming because every one of them was combat yeah, mission. Yeah, that yeah. And then and then then you had battle stars. If you know, battle of you know Italy or battle of air battle of the war. And yeah, I think yeah. we had five or six uh, battle stars. And then we had, a, <laughs> we had accommodations for the four fifty fourth bomb group, which is I was in. Did a great job on some place bombing, and then we got a what they call. Uh, Citation for that, so I had a few. Yeah, and then, of course we had. I had my wings. Yeah, right. All all the flight crews had wings, of course. So, uh, a four fifty fourth bomb group. What was your squadron? Seven thirty eighth. Seven thirty eighth bomber okay. squadron. So we had our, we had our, every squadron had their own headquarters. From so so sticks is right on it. He had the four fifty fourth received ten campaign streamers and two unit citation two unit citations. And these were the squadrons seven thirty six, seven, seven thirty eight, and seven thirty ninth bombardment squadron. Yeah, it was 30, 30, 30, 38, 37, 36, and thirty five, I guess, yeah. So 
Wow. That's outstanding. But somebody, one, one, of, one of you guys, Mary's Peak, talked about the, this guy named, uh, what was his name? Stephen Ambrose. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the he uh, wrote, Wild Blue, was it? He wrote Wild Blue. That's, that was yeah. Wild Blue. And he wrote about, who was the guy that used to, the guy he wrote about, he was. Oh, uh, George McGovern. George he ran McGovern. for president in 72. I was, was kind of interested about that. George McGovern flew the other runway. We had one way. He was on the other runway. Oh, that parallel runway there. To your parallel base. Runway. So he, he was in a different group. But, oh, he was like that, that. but what was kind of interesting to that, that, that wild blue, I wrote my little book, which you guys can look at it sometime. I would love to look at it. And that. I'll say, <clears throat> Stephen Ambrose stole my thunder. <laughs> that son of a bitch. <laughs> right on. We had, we had to go. We had to let this, which is in my book. We couldn't make it over on the gas. We had to go to this. And not very many planes did do it, but we did. And this McGovern, he was a pilot. He did the right. same thing. He did almost the same things that, that we did. He did. I, I read that many years ago after I got my ride into B twenty four, and it 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 is a well written, amazing book. Oh, it's a good book, and yeah, and to read and understand, give even some kind of feeling. And we're trying to give a little sense of that tonight of what you gents went through and yes. how you okay. manned up and prepared and faced the flak and faced the elements and didn't know. You know, you left and didn't know when you were coming home. Today, yeah, yes, you go out for a six-month tour or a three-month tour. You know when you're coming back, for the most part, unless there's yeah, hostilities. Yeah, well, but you were gone until it, the job was done. Yeah. But it was, well, he uh, had to get 35 missions. Yeah. He, he was three. He, he didn't quite make it because the war ended. Yeah. But I was with my pilot. He always said uh, he made he went 35 missions because he flew some before. Right. Started before you guys. Got a couple extra. Yeah. He, he used to tell me something. We were so damn lucky. We were just so lucky. You know, we could have been killed. Many times we could have been killed. You know, oh, man. We had, one time we had to actually, we took, we took a mission and we got in a cloud bank, the whole formation, 28 planes going through a cloud bank. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face. Oh, boy. Oh, my God. So the commander says, break formation. You're on your own. Oh, shit. That's even worse. There's 28 airplanes all around you, and he says, you're on your own? Anyway, that sounds, this sounds like a bad idea, Rosie. story a little bit longer. Our pilot, it was just it was a dance, and you, you couldn't see. You just couldn't see anything. It's just, yeah. But our pilot experienced vertigo. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. And because, you know, you couldn't see anything. There's no... There's no Oh, anyway, that's just that's okay. Anyway, he uh, eight years later, Buzzfeed is shot down. Yeah, he he thought we were climbing, but we actually we were diving. Yeah, yeah, that's vertigo. But the co-pilot, he saw that something was wrong here, and. He said, he told Jim, get your hands off the controls. And he pulled us out. I tell you, we should have lost our wings because we were done. I say, I knew something was wrong. I, I, I couldn't move. 
And then, of course, when we pulled out, man, I thought I was going to go right down to, to the bottom. Of the yeah, G from the G load. Because, oh, yeah, yeah there was, you guys were doing a lot. When you say lost your wings, you mean the wings should have flown off the airplane, right? It should have. That's right. Yes. <laughs> a non-combat. Yeah. We had things like that happen to us. Quite and there were so many non-combat losses yeah. for things, you know, similar to that, right? Yeah, guys flying exactly. in the clouds, hitting terrain, not not a combat loss, you know, just uh, weird shit. And then the, yeah. the other time we had something that was very exciting. Was we ran out of gas. We were going to run out of gas, and so we was which meant we'd have to ditch over the Adriatic Sea. And, yes, B twenty fours. They weren't ditchable. You, you couldn't survive. So now, what are we going to do? So. The pilot said, well, maybe we should just turn around and fly over Yugoslavia and bail out. Because that was, the Tito was a, a, Oh, right, right, right. So, so he said, there's a lot of Parsons over there we could get down. But a navigator, he said, no, there's a place we can go. It's called an island of this. And that's what uh, Stephen Ambrose and, and his buddy. Yeah. An so that's where you you guys set it down we on that little we island. Went down there, it's, it was fighter. It was a fighter plane oh. landing strip, but we flew that big twenty four bomber in there, in there, and on fumes. But uh, that's what I get for having a good pilot. He was he was great. I tell you, that guy could do anything. I'm but, picking up on a theme uh, from the very beginning. You said nothing but accolades about Jim Nixon. But he, anyway, so he, he landed. So when we got there, we went the only one we ran out of gas that day because we had a, had a strong headwind. And so a lot of planes were running out of gas. And so anyway, we landed. And so we were standing around looking at ourselves. And so the guy, some guy that was stationed there, he says, you know, he says, there's a B-24 bomber came through here two or three days ago with only one engine. And he said, they crashed and the, all, everyone was killed. But the, one of the guys jumped out of the plane, thought he could parachute out, but the parachute did not open. So he hit the ground. Oof. And they, he, the guy showed me that place. I was crying out loud, you know, they, they didn't, they didn't, Pick him up or anything. Just left him there. You know, they didn't have, they, you know, there's no, there were no facilities there. So, oh, shit. Yeah. So, oh. yeah. so we, we were there for two or three days. And then the third day we were there, we was out twiddling our thumbs again and heard this squadron of bombers came over. But it really wasn't a squadron of bombers. It was an airplane, B-24, with one engine. And the guy landed the plane, he wrecked the plane, but... The guys all walked away. Wow. Guy, he, they said he'd been flying almost 30 minutes with that, this one engine. Oh, shit. And, uh, and, but it, it sounded like a squadron. It was, he had that thing. Full on. Yeah, wide, right? He had it wide open because it's all it could do, right? Oh, man, oh being gosh. all it could be. Holy smokes. So anyway, well, then we, we stayed there a couple of days, and then we got some more fuel in there. Then we threw all, threw all our machine guns out, all our flak suits out, and anything else we could throw off the plane. <laughs> very short runway. Got to get her back Jim, here. Jim took us right home. 
there you wow. go. Nice. Yeah. There's definitely a theme there as, uh, as Dick's yeah. pointed out. So yeah. what, yeah. uh, what did you do after the war, sir? What's that? What, what did you do after, after the war? What did you do for a career? Oh, I, uh, I went to the University of Kansas. They had the GI Bill at that time. You could have done so. Okay. The University of Kansas got a degree in engineering. And I worked at it for 67 years. Is that all? Couldn't stick with it? Couldn't make 70? <laughs> <laughs> what, kind of, what kind of engineering? Yeah, what kind of engineering? I, engineer. I, I worked on dams, built dams, yeah. or designed okay. dams. I built them. Sure. Sure. Oh, that's pretty yeah. incredible. And I worked for the Fish and Wildlife a little bit as a consultant. So I worked 35 did, years for the Bureau of Reclamation, which is a government agency. Rosie, okay. did your did your pilot or co-pilot continue flying after the war, or was that it? Well, the, the pilot he wanted to be uh, to, he wanted to be a in fact he got a commercial license, but you know, okay. bomber pilots were a dime a dozen. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but the co-pilot, he got, he got in the reserves and he flew uh, the whole career. He had spent 30 years in the in flying fighter planes. It was just okay. the National Guard and stuff like that. So he re- did he retire with the uh, Eagles or Stars on his collar? Yeah, no, I don't think so. He's, he's, too, he's always in trouble. He's always in trouble. <laughs> he spent what they call what they call when they, when they shake off. Simon Hack. Yeah, they put what they call, penalty box. Right. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> oh man! But I, it, I can't. Wow. I don't know. I think one more thing about my, my pilot. I talk about him a lot. The team. Yeah. Great. Sounds like an amazing man. I, the guy was twenty-one when he we, we met him. And he, I think he'd been in college a little bit, I think maybe a year or two. But anyway, after the war, we, we used to get together all the time for reunions. And uh, I'd say, well, Jim, what did you do after you got We said, well, I, I worked in, he got married and uh, his childhood sweetheart. And he said, I, I, I worked in a, a, a store and had an elevator and one of my first jobs was I had to push the people in the elevator because you know he had what's called an elevator pusher you push the crowd in so that you get as many people on the elevator as you could <laughs> that's where he started and that guy ended up to be CEO of the, of the Whitman Sappler chocolate. oh okay yeah. all the way up nice. I did you know I, I, when he when he's told me that i said well i i can believe that because it's just the kind of a guy he was he was just that's awesome he was very nice i I, I think i talked too much about him but he was such a great man i was i'm here today because of him oh i get it completely and it it, the the words you choose and the things you say paint a perfect picture thank you indeed this guy indeed they do well, well I, okay. I think we're going to about to say, I hate to say it, but I think it's time to land the airplane. And But you know, and it, sir, here's the thing. You, I don't want to. I know. I don't want to either. And you know, as soon as we end this interview, you're going to think of six stories that you should have told. Yeah. So sure would you, 
Would you have your cohort that I know is in the background right there take six bullets or have any bullets you think of in the next 10 minutes after it's over and we'll have you back because we'd we, love to have you back. Oh my gosh. Yes. And, you know, to say that we are humbled and honored by having you tell your stories is that that doesn't even do it worse. <laughs> am, I, am I wrong, repeat? No, and and all the all the comments that we've seen on the on the live stream feed tonight, people are are inadequately expressing, you know, they're grateful to you for what you did, what you offered to sacrifice for this nation. Uh, Tom Brokaw coined the phrase "the greatest generation," and indeed, you are that. We are, and, and we're humbled and honored that, that you be with us, that you're being with us today. And and it seems trite to say that. Almost cliche, and it really isn't. I mean, from the bottom of my heart, I am so grateful to have the opportunity to sit here and listen to to what you have to say and what you went through. And and uh, yeah, buddy. yeah, I mean, I'm I'm speechless. I'm emotional about it. Uh, I'm choked up, <laughs> and I'm and I'm honored. I, I just I don't know what else to say, except I, I I think the only thing we can say is two simple words, which is thank you. Thank you for everything you've done, for everything you sacrificed. I actually have the story with you. I know that Bob Johnson got me involved in this to, to, to come here. Okay. I, I kept, he always says, why don't you, why don't you uh, edit your book and, and print it, you know, first? Right. And I said, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm just, I'm a local profile guy. You're too humble. And, and well, I that's get it. it. Yeah. But I, I would love to read that. Yeah, so you guys are welcome to make copies of it if you want to. Thanks. Well, I, I'm, I'm eager to read it and, and appreciate it. And, and that's the other part that was the hallmark of this generation, right, is that these these men came home and they didn't speak of the horrors that they saw and experienced. And they just went about their lives about and about making the country great. And and. You led by example, and I wish more people would follow your example. Uh, I always thought, you know, thank goodness I was just 18 years old when I did this. this. <laughs> because I looked at my, some of my yeah. crew members that are older. It was yeah. tougher on them. We had yeah. two of them yeah. 18 years old, and yeah, we didn't, stupidity, we didn't know any better. Right. Well, you know, right? Ignorance is bliss, as they say, right? But uh, but then you didn't come home and chat about it and go look. You beat your chest and go look what we did. You just went about your lives, and yeah, you know, college, well, we you saved the world. Degree and only, and then he only, he only did that for seventy years. Yeah, Jeez. yeah. You saved the world, and then you went about your life. You know, it's it's an amazing story. One of our listeners, uh, Broken Staff Sergeant, again asked, "Where can you find your book?" I'll, I'll tell you right now, his book is not being published. He has chosen not to publish it. He's he's willing to share it with us. But we'll respect uh, to whatever degree uh, we can that we will respect that what your wishes are about sharing or not sharing. You you've decided you don't want to publish that, and sadly, we have to respect that. I deeply hope you would reconsider and yeah. let it be published, but, but that's your choice. You know, that's your book and well, your property. The reason I don't want to publish it because some of them, like, so pictures, a lot of the pictures were barred, you know, artistic mm -hmm. sources. And this, I'm just, I'm just concerned because I remember when, when Ambrose wrote his book, he got yeah. trouble from plagiarism. Yeah. And I said, I don't want to get in that mess, you know. 
So I say, tell him, let him come after me if you got it. It's just, yeah. <laughs> I'm too old for that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You don't need the hassle. I totally get that. So, I have one last, I have one last question for you, Rosie. And it, it, it's a kind of a sensitive question. You don't have to answer it. And I totally understand. But w- one of our listeners uh, typed it, and I, I was actually thinking the same thing. When you walk around town or move around town, does somebody have to walk behind you with a wheelbarrow to carry your giant big brass balls around so they don't scrape on the ground as you walk? Well, I like to say that I was a coward. And uh, it's like most guys were, you know. Yeah, well. uh, I'm very adverse. You you get pretty, pretty scared, you know, so. There's no atheist in a foxhole, and right and, and, and and there's probably no atheist in a in a in a B twenty four when there's flack going on, but I'm here yeah. to tell you, you lived through it and you did it over and over and over, and that, yeah. my friend, is is the is the true took stones. Well, that's what courage is. You could be scared to shit to do something, but if you keep doing it, that's courage, buddy, or brain damage, or maybe a little both. <laughs> Well, I don't know. I've been young. That made a difference to me. I, I just didn't realize the severity of the situation. No, and well, it was at the time. Admitted, but sure, you know, sure. Well, and, and that's yeah. the uh, that, that's what nature does for us. You know, when you're young, you're invincible, and you don't really, you know, yeah. uh, think. But uh, it doesn't change the fact that I don't know how you walked through life without dragging those giant testicles across the concrete when you walked. <laughs> right on. Thank you. Well, I think sadly the time has come for us to land the airplane. So we'll go ahead and do that. And I think the first and best way to do it is again, to say those two inadequate words. Thank you to you, Rosie. And thank you to all military active duty veterans and the families who have sacrificed birthdays with uh, mom or dad or brother or sister, anniversaries, weddings, funerals, all that that's gone lost. Well, people have uh, chosen to put serving our country first, and we're grateful to you for that. Any other thank yous you think? Dave Hamilton. Thank you, Dave Hamilton, for uh, helping us produce this show. Dave Hamilton does the Backbeat Media. Uh, He gives us the bandwidth to produce this. What else does he do for us, Repeat? Yeah, actually, he works that through Cashfly. Cashfly gives us the bandwidth through Dave. Um, and then, uh, and we got a glossary out there. If uh, if you heard a term here tonight that we didn't have up, we don't have up there, then let us know. Uh, but uh, the glossary is so there I was dot us slash glossary has a bunch of aviation terms, a bunch of other terms. I think IP is already on there. But uh, if you heard something tonight and you don't know what it is, write to us and we'll get it up there, please. So, and how would you write to us? Uh, you'd write to us at uh, fig, repeat or sticks at so there I was dot us and if you really want a good answer address it to sticks he's out there with the research getting it done thank you sticks so hey we got the merch store go get yourself some cool looking gear with the so there I was logo on it designed by sticks by the way yeah. uh, we've got hats we got clocks we got beach towels we got the bikini it's gonna be spring soon folks drinking glasses bar glasses coffee mugs playing cards you name it so there I was. I, US I might need merch. a bigger bikini. I put on a little weight over the winter. Oh boy! 
<laughs> Some people that weigh too much shouldn't be wearing them bikinis, Fig. Just saying for a friend. <laughs> uh, okay, all right, all right. Fair enough. Uh, we need to say thank you to uh, a couple guys that uh, make the Air Force sound good. That let us use their music, and they were also great guests on our show, The Dos Gringos. Four albums, not one bad song on any album. Oh, absolutely. And of course, there's Brad Silcott over at BDSAviationPhotography.com. He lets us use some of his images. Amazing shots. You can't, can't go wrong. Go look at his stuff, both on Facebook and at BDSAviationPhotography.com. Um, and then last thing, you know, we want to ask, uh, we, we want, of course, we want to thank all the folks who go to sedariowest.us slash Patreon or to donor, uh, sedariowest.us slash donate and, uh, and put your hard earned money, uh, out of your wallet and put it into our pockets so that we can keep this show coming to you. We're grateful. We're humbled. That is, uh, that is something you don't have to do. And we're grateful you do. If you can't contribute financially, that's okay too. But what you must do to keep listening to the show is share this show with other people that you know like aviation stories, like a true American stories, because uh, this is a great one tonight. And uh, I don't know. Any advice for people until next week? There, Fig. Well, uh, well first of all, uh, like, comment, subscribe on YouTube. Uh, that was yeah. uh, from our man Sticks. Yeah. Uh, but honestly, uh, stay safe and Check six. Well, there I was, crossing the pond, and you could see that I wasn't exactly fond of all the shit I was wearing on that day. Now an F-16 is cramped enough, but it's even worse with all that stuff supposed to save your life. But we knew there was Going down the North Atlantic, man, it's over. Wait, wait, what did he say? He said it's over. <laughs> was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? What? Was it? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs>